Money FM 89.3, best of weekends. Time for our international news review with Steve Oaken, senior advisor at McClarty Associates, joining us from Hue in Vietnam. Good morning, Steve. How are you doing? All right. Hey, uh, Steve, first of all, congratulations on the AmChams of Asia Pacific Summit 2022 yesterday. You're the chairman of that organization. Uh, it went very well. Uh, those of us in the audience uh, really enjoyed uh, not only the work that you and the other team members of AAP put into it, but just the great content and, um, and insights that, that people were giving all throughout the uh, all throughout the day. So congratulations. Thank you. You know, we did not time uh, the AAP summit to actually happen right after the U.S. ASEAN Special Summit, right as President Biden was arriving in Asia on his first presidential trip, right as the Indo-Pacific Economic Framework is about to be announced. So it was the absolute perfect time to get people together from the American business community across the entire region for the for the first time in three years. So it's perfect timing and it was a great event. And I think we came away with a lot of enthusiasm about the hard work we need to do to make sure the U.S. further integrates into the economy of, of Asia Pacific. Well, let's get stuck mm-hmm. into that. President Biden is there. He's going to visit Japan and South Korea. First Asian trip as American president, as Glenn mentions. What should we be looking for, Steve? What should be some of the takeaways? Well, I mean, the the first takeaway is that with everything happening in the world and with everything happening in the United States, President Biden is committed with his time uh, to the region, uh, hosting the ASEAN leaders in Washington, D.C., coming uh, to South Korea, coming to Japan. So that is part of of the takeaway. The second part of the takeaway is that the U.S. is going to try something new and different when it comes to engaging economically. It has been more than a decade since the U.S. entered into a trade agreement in this part of the world. The U.S. isn't going to enter into any formal trade agreement anytime soon because of all the domestic uh, political pressures against trade back home. So now we're going to launch this Indo-Pacific Economic Framework, and and we're going to try and figure out how to make it work as the business community supports the the administration and the the government. Uh, One of the challenges, I think, Steve, is that everybody everybody kind of knows what the job is that needs to be done and getting it done quick enough uh, to fill in the void before China and others – uh, you know, jump in in a trade sense uh, is is really the challenge. The the walk away that I had from yesterday's uh, summit in Hanoi was the fact that you know businesses are are continuing to be engaged. They've been engaged for decades, obviously, but really, really hungry to show that you know uh, American businesses mean business and are ready to go, and they just need some help from the government to make that happen. Um, and, and the other the other notion is you know so what happens. If Biden is not reelected, do some of these efforts go away under a Republican administration, uh, assuming Biden runs, that is, uh, and not another Democrat? So, uh, you know, there are a lot of unknowns, but the business community seems ready to, is ready to go and is already going and trying hard. Well, a couple of messages that we want to deliver. First, the region is moving forward without the United States. And, and, and Glenn, it, China's yeah. already engaged. Of course. China is yeah. already into the into the regional comprehensive economic partnership. So they have a trade agreement with ASEAN the United States doesn't have. The China has asked to come into the CPTPP, the, the biggest and most uh, important of the trade agreements, of which the U.S. kicked off, but then you know pulled away and, and right now does not seem to want to come back. So we have to make this message. The world is moving forward without us, and speed and time is of the essence. We cannot wait and negotiate this other 
massive agreement. And so what we want to focus on is a digital trade agreement, one that has as many of, of our partners in the region as possible, one that covers the doing business issues. Digital trade is not about you know, Netflix, who was, you know, here and HP, who was here and, and, and with us in, in Vietnam at the conference. It's about everybody. So explain get what that actually thing, would, what is a digital trade agreement? What, what, what does that mean? So, so for example, if you have a digital trade agreement, there's going to be one rule on e-signatures. There's going to be one rule on privacy. There's going to be no requirement that you localize the data in every country in which you're operating, because that is extremely expensive. And, and, and not required. And it's it not only is expensive because you need all these servers, but it's expensive because you have to come up with different compliance. So if you have one set of rules for digital trade, that's trade for everybody. Everybody wants to have, have e-signatures and, and cross-border flow of, 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 of agreements and, and one set of rules on privacy. And that's why it's so important to get this done. And this is something that can get done is in the trade community, we would say, could be an early harvest. Right? Mm. Get this thing done first. Get to the tougher issues later that are going to take years, unfortunately, for the U.S. now seems to take decades to get something done on trade. Get an early harvest. And Steve, I mean, that's the economic side, but I'm fascinated in the political aspects. The key issue will be China, as it always is. The message seems to be, or they want the message to be towards China, don't try anything, not just in in Taiwan, but in any part of Asia, what Russia is currently doing in the Ukraine. You know, South Korea is going to want some sort of commitment. Japan is certainly going to want some sort of commitment. Taiwan and North Korea affect both of those countries But yet, Beijing, U.S., has a very different relationship than U.S. and Russia. So Biden hasn't even made a firm commitment to what could potentially happen with regards to China. It's a very difficult tightrope. How does he walk it? Well, and and this is the thing that you hear from, you know, from Prime Minister Lee. You hear from uh, Jokowi. You hear from all of the leaders here. Don't make us choose. Don't make Mm. us say you have to pick the U.S. or China. So what the U.S., wants to do, should be doing, is saying, let's put out a framework that is of a high level, and if anybody wants to join it, they can join it. Now, when you have a high-level digital agreement that is going to protect privacy, that is not going to uh, allow um, for governments to step in and and rule out certain areas, well, you know what? Maybe some countries aren't going to join that, but you know what? That's their choice. And so if the U.S. can come in with a high-level agreement that benefits everybody, then you're not in this position of making people choose, oh, do I go with the U.S. agreement or do I go with the Chinese agreement? Just have a high-level agreement and whoever wants to join can join. And, and, and that's what China seems to be trying to do with the CPTPP now. And look, if China liberalizes and says, we're going to protect intellectual property, we're not going to have unfair trade agreements, um, uh, we're not going to treat SOEs, you know, state-owned enterprises, differently at an unlevel playing field with commercial businesses. If we're going to respect environmental rights, well, then why wouldn't you want them to join? And, and so that is what you want to go forward. Go into the high-level agreement, open to everybody. Start with countries that are already there, like Japan, like Australia, like New Zealand, like Singapore, and then add on to it. But you yeah. didn't, you didn't mm. really answer the question, though, Steve, about but what happens with Taiwan 
or Asian expansionism, mm. then it goes beyond the economic and it goes into purely political territories. What does Australia do then? What does New Zealand do then? What does Japan, South Korea and, and, and the Philippines and other well, Southeast well, Asian neighbours do then? Okay, well, well, militarily, right, the, 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 the choices have been made like, in terms of Australia, right? You have AUKUS, which we've, we've talked about, the, the sharing of the submarine uh, technology mm. between the US, the UK and Australia. You have the Quad, in, in which President Biden is going to have a leaders meeting on the Quad, and, and that's on, on the defense side, and that's India and Australia and Japan and the United States. So you have the defense piece, which is in which, which is working well and has been being enhanced. Um, you know, like it started under President Trump and, and President Biden has taken it to a new level in terms of working together. But you don't make people choose on the economic front. That's mm. that's the so so that's the difference. There's two tracks. And this, Neil, gets to be the, the tough question because you say to China, let's cooperate when it comes to the environment. Let's cooperate, right, when it comes to the pandemic, but yeah. we're not going to cooperate in other areas. And, you know, let's, let's compete, confront, and, and cooperate. Well, is China going to live by that playbook? That's a different issue on the economic front. Yeah, fascinating. We're going to wait and see what actually comes out of Biden's visit. Uh, he's in Korea today, and then it will be on to Japan. As you mentioned, mem- meeting with members of the Quad, uh, uh, India, Australia as well. Uh, so that will be uh, uh, interesting news to see what comes out. All right, let's uh, finish up with Tesla. They are no longer up to par with environmental Social government standards, they have been kicked off the Standard & Poor's 500 ESG Amazing. Index. Amazing story. Very interesting. Take us through what happened. Elon Musk does not understand ESG. That, that's, that's what happened. Okay. Because look, every company can or does cause harm. If you, when, in your op, when you operate, when you deal with your customers, when you employ people, how you treat them, you have the ability to cause harm or the ability to, to, to treat people right or your customers right or the environment right. And what you want to do from an ESG perspective, you eliminate the harm, if you can, that your company causes. If you can't eliminate it, like you're always going to have some level of emissions, you reduce the harm where you, where you cannot eliminate it. By doing that, you make your business as sustainable as possible. And, and what the, the rating agencies have found is that Tesla is not doing that. They are not eliminating mm. their harm. They're not, they're not manufacturing their batteries in, in the most environmentally sustainable way. There's a lot of air pollution, too much air pollution that is stemming from the manufacturing of their batteries. They're not treating their employees the right way because yeah. there's a lot of issues about racial discrimination yeah. and poor working conditions at their factories. And so Elon Musk cannot say, or no business can say, we make electric vehicles, therefore we are a sustainable business. That's not true. Well, I watched a documentary this week, uh, rather coincidentally, called uh, Elon Musk, Superhero or Super Villain. And by the time I'd finished it, I wasn't entirely sure where I stood on this, except to say, yes, the track record in Musk's companies with regards to race relations, gender uh, relations, misogyny, they're not great, Steve, are they? And, but I also got the impression he didn't seem to particularly care that was the troubling insight for me. What did you think? Well, I mean, and, and, and you know, he, where, where he was saying, well, look, why is ExxonMobil rated above us? Why is this oil and gas company rated above us when we're making electric vehicles? And that's because ExxonMobil is doing what it can to reduce the harm it causes. 
So you don't, when you talk about ESG, you're not comparing a, well, an electric vehicle company is automatically better than a oil and gas company, or if you're uh, a renewables, you're better than if you're in education. You look within that sector and you say, are you operating legally and are you doing everything you can from an ESG perspective to reduce harm um, and create benefit where you can. Now, when the government investigates Tesla, the U.S. government investigates Tesla mm. because of the way their safety of their, their driver assistant program is, and they refuse to cooperate, that is not having an ESG mindset. So no CEO can say, I'm above working with the government. I'm above treating my employees in the best way possible and and reducing harm such as through racial discrimination, even though if I'm not personally engaging in it, but your company doesn't have the policies or processes to do it. Yeah. In that he 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 does not seem to think that those rules apply to him because he's changing the world through his company. His company may be having a lot of social benefits, but that doesn't mean you're not creating harm while you're creating the benefits. Amazing. Got it. Steve, um, uh, just a quick uh, opinion from you, what we should be looking for in the Australian federal election today, or and maybe not even that. What's at stake in the result of that election in terms of Australia's uh, standing around the region, relationships with, with uh, countries here? Uh, just, just a quick uh, thought or two from you on that. Well, what seems to be the case is that Australia is still where the United States was a few decades ago, Correct. which is politics ends right at the border. Mm. And so Australia is not going to pull out of its international agreements because you have a change uh, in, in, in the leader, unlike the United United States, where Donald Trump pulled out of of the Iran nuclear agreement, he pulled out, uh, or he wanted to, he wanted to pull out of NATO. He pulled out of the Paris Climate Accords. You're not going to see that in Australia. So I think, from a a bilateral, multilateral perspective, the Australians still have a national interest when it comes to Australia. They'll have different interests, of course, when it comes to climate, when it comes to labor, when it comes to immigration, when it comes to social safety nets. Domestically, there'll be huge implications in Australia. But I think uh, from from overseas, it's, it's it's you know Australia is going to be a key partner and ally to those it was a key partner and ally with today. It'll be with with them tomorrow if there's a change in leadership. Have a great uh, trip. Enjoy. Say hi to all of our. Uh, AmCham Asia Pacific friends, and we'll see you back here next week. And we'll see you in Vietnam. Absolutely. <laughs> Take care. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download our audio app. That's A W E D I O. Available on Google Play or the App Store.